$167,000. I'll settle for one dance with Domino. Can you play any other tune? Something we're making for the Americans. It's called a ghetto blaster. May I cut in? It's a charming tune. Hello and welcome to the eighth episode of bond music six of the best. This is our ongoing series where we discuss the bond movie soundtracks. And we are just happy that you've decided to join us. And who's us? Well, of course, it's me. I'm Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist. And joining me, as usual, is my best friend in life. Bond aficionado and all-round good guy, Alan J. Porter. Welcome back, Alan. Thank you, Jared. It's great to be back. Looking forward to talking about this one. We're back with John Barry. So, yay. Exactly. Nothing wrong with this. And I tell you what, I do have a story about today's soundtrack. but. Hey, we'll get to it. For all of our new listeners, welcome to the show. The six of the best format works this way. We're going to include a discussion of the movie theme and the overall soundtrack. And for each episode, one of us has the lead. This episode, it's me. And that means that once we get through the main theme, we each get to pick three tracks. I have the lead, so I'm going first. I will pick three tracks from the score. Alan will pick his three tracks from the score. We will discuss, and then we'll round it out with some sort of a bonus track, which is usually some kind of a remix or something cool. You'll find out when we get there. So each of your six of the best episodes will feature about eight tracks. Let's get into it. This month, it's time to bust out the Flexol 454, drink our Insure, and tickle our Tchaikovsky as we look at Roger Moore's swan song from a view to a kill. All right, let's talk about the soundtrack overall, the entire disc. We're using the remastered soundtrack from the early 2000s. John Barry is back, as we mentioned before, and it's always nice to have John Barry back. He did 58 minutes of original music. Barry's strong hand in developing the title song, which was a little bit popular, we'll talk about that, makes it blend well into the score. He really takes the main title song, which, as we know, was crazy popular, and he weaves it into the score really, really well. Nick Rain, who is John Barry's kind of go-to orchestrator, he really stepped up to help Barry make some deadlines for this film. This pair has worked together in a few instances, so much so that Barry was able to turn a lot of the reins over, reins, no pun intended, a lot of the reins (laughs) over to Nick Rain to get this done on time. And I tell you what, Alan, I know I'm kind of jumping ahead here, but I I couldn't tell. It's a great Barry Sound score. It is, yeah, yeah, and it comes together beautifully. It does. So Nick Rain and John Barry were obviously in stride together. It only took about four weeks to record. Barry did his usual sort of follow the film, do it in order with his sequences. And again, I'm jumping ahead, but I really like this soundtrack. Yeah, I'm tipping my cards here, but I think you guys are going to see that this is one of my favorites. Okay, here's one of my favorite bits of trivia. You're going to like this one, Alan. <laughs> so, so John Leach is a Kodo player. The Kodo is that Japanese instrument. I believe they played it when they were at the spa. The, at oh, the okay. The bling, 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 yeah. bling, bling, bling. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. And Barry and a couple of the producers were working really late just trying to get that to insert it into the film. And they said, can you go ahead and just play us a little bit of that Kodo? We'll record it. We'll put it in the movie. No problem. So John Leach gets in the sound booth and he starts plinking away on that Kodo. And after about 20 minutes, he comes out and he goes, did you get enough? And everybody was asleep. <laughs> <laughs> and John Barry said he only needed about 90 seconds, but they were so tired from working all day. And it's such a relaxing sound that literally everybody in the sound booth fell asleep. <laughs> and he played for 20 minutes. <laughs> Poor John, he's probably sweating in there by like minute 19. Like, come on. Man. Jeez. Just so you guys know, this inevitably was going to come up. The use of California Girls, not the original Beach Boys song, but the remake by Gadea Park is featured, obviously, in the opening 
the pre-credit sequence. We covered this on the review show, but what makes it worse is they did a cover band of the Beach Boys, but it wasn't even an American cover band. It was a British cover band of the Beach Boys. <laughs> I so. did not know that Cadillo Park was British. <laughs> yeah. It does make it even weirder. Yeah, but Barry was not a fan. He did not like having that in the soundtrack, but you know, you do what you do. Interestingly enough, we recently did Octopussy. We talked about how it was going head to head with Never Say Never Again. So they weaved the heck out of the Bond theme through that soundtrack. Just to remind everybody you were watching the Bond. Well, now we're in 1985. Barry is putting together another fine soundtrack. And this time, I guess he was a little burnt out using the theme. It appears only twice, one of which is in the gun barrel. So the Bond theme does not get used a whole heck of a lot. Barry, who was never afraid to modernize and use new sounds and techniques, incorporated a 1980s rock guitar sound throughout the soundtrack. Those of you who know it well know what I'm talking about. And so that is always interesting to watch Barry sort of change over time and accept new sounds and use them to his advantage. So that's a pretty cool thing to listen for in the soundtrack. And finally, we all know that Barry enjoyed Dixieland music. I think we actually learned that from when Raymond Benson was on the show with us back in the early days and he works it in because he gets a little Dixieland music in at the wedding scene when Bond crashes quite literally crashes the wedding oh yeah I'd never really thought about it but I hadn't either until I read it yeah you're right (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't either until I read it in our book that book by the way is the music of Bond by John Burlingame it is pretty much so the heart and soul well balance the heart and soul of this podcast but it is our reference library we love it. You can get so much out of that book. We can't recommend it enough. Again, that's John Burling Games, The Music of Bond. If you don't own it, you should. It's good stuff. So, Alan, what did you think overall of the soundtrack? I really like it. I like the soundtrack more than I like the movie. <laughs> I'm right um, there with you. Yeah, I think it's a good, solid John Barry score. I was actually listening to a, another podcast that was talking about Bond music. How dare they? Um, <gasps> I know, as if somebody else hasn't had the idea. And they were sort of saying that they felt Barry phoned this one in a bit, that it wasn't his best. Um, I don't think it's his best, but I don't think it's a workmanlike effort either. I think it's got a, a lot of interesting things in it. And as you say, I actually think one of the more interesting things is the fact that he did bring in the electric guitar and the rock theme on top of the more traditional Barry work as well. So um, there's some very recognizable Barry score undertones from some of the other soundtracks in there, but then with a sort of heavy riff electric guitar on top to give it a bit more of that rock beat so yeah i think it was indicative of the times but still a good solid classic john barry score yeah i agree with you i don't feel like he mailed it in although i guess due to the one of the trivia facts i did read you he in some ways did since he put a lot of it on nick rain his orchestrator to help him so in that sense he mailed it in but i still think that the collaboration this is one of my favorite soundtracks and it might be a nostalgia bias because i don't know how many times we brought up me and my cassettes on this show alan (laughs) oh no here we go (laughs) here we go so my brother and I are at Kmart circa 1985 with our grandmother. She's like, you can each have three bucks for a toy. We come up with this brilliant idea. If we pool our, our money, can we please get this on cassette? And so grandma said yes. And we got the A View to a Kill soundtrack on cassette, took turns listening to it. And so it still has a special place in my heart. Even now with that nostalgia behind me, when I listen to it, I'm like, this is some jam and berry. I just like it. No, I'm with you. I haven't listened to it in a long time before we sort of sat down to listen to it for the show and actually try and pick three tracks. And at the beginning, I was thinking, I'm going to struggle to pick three because I don't like the movie that much. But I was actually surprised how difficult it became to pick three tracks, not because I didn't like it, but because I did like it. Plus the fact that you stole one of my favorites, of course, as you always do. But that's the way it goes. That's the way it goes. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I was pleasantly surprised by how much I did enjoy it. I think it's easy to bag on it because it is such a, a low point of the film franchise overall. Like this one's not in a lot of people's top tier Bond movies. So it's easy to overlook the soundtrack, but it's quite good. Let's talk a bit about the title song and get that played for you guys. But as usual, we've got some inside information for you on the title song. Once again, coming from the John Burling game book. Can't recommend that enough. So as we mentioned on the last episode, well, technically two episodes ago, Octopussy. Octopussy was the first one that actually had a full music video. And now this is 1985. The MTV age is not just upon us, but all around us. It binds us like the force from Star Wars. MTV is everywhere. And Duran Duran was riding high. 
they had 12 top 40 UK hits and eight top 20 US hits. They were a band that was popular and made popular by this new MTV thing. Cubby Broccoli meets up with John Taylor, the bassist for Duran Duran at a party. Taylor was very sort of brash and bold, like, hey, when are you going to let us do a Bond theme song? And Broccoli was like, all right. And they got the gig from that, which is pretty funny. That is cool, yeah. So so if anybody from Eon Productions is listening to this, when are you going to let me write a Bond movie? (laughs) That's right. That's right. Shoot your shot 2020, (laughs) y'all. And that's what he did. Taylor took his shot. Speaking of John Taylor. While I was putting together the playlist for the cover versions, I actually did find that John Taylor himself has posted an excellent video on YouTube where he talks about how the song was constructed from the perspective of a bass player, which if you've listened to some of the other shows, you know that I owned a bass at one time. I won't call myself a bass player, but I did own a bass guitar. So I found it interesting as to how he was looking at the song from that perspective and how it all fit together. And it's a great insight into the construction of a Bond song. So we will include the link to the full video in the playlist at the end, but I believe we're also probably going to tack on some extracts from it at the end of the show. If you want to sort of hang on and listen at the end of the show to some words from John Taylor on how the song came together. Absolutely. Yes. I thought that was pretty cool when I watched it. I just discovered it because Alan sent it to me. And the first thought was like, oh, okay, Alan loves bass. So this is going to be very, very Alan oriented. But it was like super cool because how many times have you thought about a song from the perspective of the bass man? You know, and it was riveting. It's about nine minutes long. And like Alan said, I will uh, attach the audio of that YouTube video to the end of today's presentation. So you can hear John Taylor working the way through the song via the bass. It's really, really quite fascinating, actually. But with that, back to the writing of the song itself, Barry kind of fathered the project. There was a lot of inner turmoil at Duran Duran at the time. The band was having a lot of infighting. And as Taylor mentions in the video that Alan just brought up, this is the last song that they wrote together for 20 years. It was tough times for Duran Duran, but I'm glad they got back together because they made some good stuff since then, too, by the way. (laughs) Just my personal opinion. No, I'd second that. (laughs) I'm a fan. (laughs) Okay, so here's where it kind of gets interesting to me, too. The final product, this is a very kind of bizarre Bond song because it has so many layers in its production. It's a three-part mix. They recorded it in London with Bernard Edwards helming that project. Then it ships over to New York where it's mixed by Jason Corsaro. And then it goes back to London for Barry to layer on the orchestra portion of it. So it's got a lot of hands in it. It's got a lot of layers in its production. And a lot of times that can make things go wrong. But I think this is one of those times where it made things go very, very right. In fact, Duran Duran drew the loudest applause at the premiere of this movie. I believe they premiered it in San Francisco as a thank you for the shooting there. Yes, they did. Yes. They drew a louder applause than Roger Moore did at this premiere, (laughs) which is bonkers. But how indicative of how big Duran Duran was in 85, that pretty much tells the tale. And finally, as we all know in the Bond community, this is the first Bond song to hit number one on the U.S. charts. Number two in the U.K., I have to know what beat it out in the UK. I've got to do that research at some point. I should know because around that time was a very interesting time in music. So, yeah, I should know, but I don't off the top of my head. (laughs) I don't know what held it back, but uh, it definitely hit number one in the US. I can remember the summer of 85. You couldn't turn on a radio without hearing this song. And it hit number one the day that Duran Duran played it at Live Aid, which made it the largest simultaneous hearing of a James Bond song at an estimated 1.9 billion with a B people hearing it all at the same time via the live aid broadcast. How cool is that? All right, Alan, what are your thoughts on strictly the theme song Duran Duran? It's just one of the best Bond themes. It's a good sing along. It's a good howl along in my case. I would say it's probably, it's definitely in my top five and it's probably my Number three, Bond song, but definitely a top five for me. I think it is, again, one where the uh, the song surpasses the movie in so many ways. It's one I just love to hear. I also like Duran Duran. I was lucky enough to see them play live many years ago. Just as they were making their comeback, they were the guests at a Microsoft conference I went to, would you believe, in New Orleans. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> they were the guest gig, and it was just as they were getting back together, and I guess they were trying stuff out. So it was pretty cool 
I have seen them play this live. Good memories attached to it. So, yeah, very cool. And having watched the John Taylor thing, I got a completely new appreciation of it. Same here. Yep. That was really interesting. One thing left to do now, I'd say. <laughs> Hit it. Number one by Paul Hardcastle's 1919. In Vietnam, he was 19. In Vietnam, no real follow-up thoughts. It's just as good as I remember it every time. I listened to it a lot over the last several weeks as we've been prepping for this show and I've never got tired to it. It's interesting. Other ones that we've listened to have become an earworm, particularly the man with the golden gun. I don't know why that just became a total earworm. And I was hearing it all the time. Not so much with this one, but every time I hear this one, I really, really enjoy it. It gets me bopping. It gets the feet tapping. Or if I'm out for a walk, I get, you know, my pace increases or whatever. It's drive a little faster. It's just one of those songs that just really peps up the day, I think. 
It really Pretty does. Good. Just a great sound. Again, it's so indicative of summer of 1985. Isn't yeah, such a high rotation on all the American pop stations. I can tell you that for nothing. Yeah. No, see, that was a good summer for both Jill and I. So, uh, yeah, it just brings back a lot of really good memories. Well, excellent. It looks like I am back in the saddle as the lead this time, and I'm happiest in the saddle. So it's time. To- <laughs> I write jokes for myself. So it's time to dive into my three picks. Pick number one, He's Dangerous, track eight from the remastered soundtrack. Is this the one you wanted, Alan? Yes, it is. Okay, you know what? I'm not, I'm not even going to tell folks why I love it. I'm just going to play it, and then we'll talk about it on the other side. Let's go with track eight from the remastered soundtrack, He's Dangerous. I stole it from you, but I'll let you talk about it first. What do you think, man? I love the Wailing Guitar. To me, it's a Bond movie in microcosm. Just this whole track is just a perfect audible representation of a Bond movie in one track. But with that mid-1980s, early 1990s, Wailing electric guitar over the top as well. Um, It's the perfect summation of Bond, particularly that era of Bond. I agree. We, we've talked before about how Barry, along with Bonnie Norman, gave us the very, very famous Bond theme. And then we both love Barry's 007 theme. And you and I both love the Honor Majesty's Secret Service theme. This one is like right there in league with those themes to me. It is just so Bond and so Barry. It does have that you are in the middle of the 80s guitar riff on it, but not in a bad way either. No, no. I no, it adds to the different. tension, I think, and the way it builds is that guitar riff really adds to it. So um, You get the uh, Barry snare military sound in there. I mean, it's all in there. It's all in there. Yeah, and it's a great title, too. A cue about Bond, He's So Dangerous, perfect. So, yeah. yeah, he's dangerous. Yeah. All right, let's get into my second pick. My second pick is probably actually my most memorable song from the soundtrack. I went with track three, which is Mayday Jumps. Even when I got that cassette, Back in 1985, Jared would have been about nine. This track just stood out to me. I was able to, having only seen the movie one time when I heard this track, not looking at the case, reading the title, but when I hear that, like I know exactly what moment of the film this is. It ties into its moment so well that I had to include it. So let's give a listen to Mayday Jumps. 
Okay, how big and bold was that, Alan? Let me know. That's great. I love that. It's a really cool track. I will say, like you said, the one thing it does bring you is it's one of those tracks that immediately puts you at the right spot in the movie. You know exactly where it it brings it to mind. The other thing I do like about this is it's actually one of my favorite stunts in the whole canon in the films. I think that's partly because when I was a lot younger, schoolboy trip, we went up the Eiffel Tower. So it was one of those things that when I saw it and they were up there and they went to the edge, it's like, holy shit, I've been there and I know how high that is. And for somebody to jump off it, it was like, oh, that's a practical stunt that I can really appreciate because I've sort of been up there and, and know what's involved in, well, not that I've ever done it, but you know what I mean. I, <laughs> I've stood at that r- relatively close to that spot and looked out over and seen, whoa, that's a long way down. So, you know, it's sort of, <laughs> Just gave it that little bit extra edge that I, it's one of those few stunts where I've been there and sort of understood what would be involved in doing it. But I think it's a very cool track as well. It's a very indicative of that particular scene. It really does bring it straight to mind. Nice. So bold. So bold. Yeah. Didn't the Bond production crew basically steal some jumps off the Eiffel Tower? Is that the right way to put it? A couple of the stunt guys, the, I think it was the following day where the rig was up there, went and did a couple of jumps and they weren't authorized to, and they basically got kicked out of Paris. As I think I remember going back to the research when we did the, the <laughs> review of this movie, but yes, they certainly did something they shouldn't have done. Yeah. If you're going to get kicked out, I mean, yeah. that's a good thing to get kicked out for. <laughs> I'm not sure if they got kicked out or they got their permits revoked or something, but yes, there was, there was consequences of people taking unauthorized jumps off the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. If I was them, I'd probably say worth it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get to my third and final pick. I'm going to slow things down a bit, and it's basically just a softer version of the theme song. It's called Wine with Stacy of You to a Kill, track 10 from the remastered soundtrack. So let's just relax a bit and have some wine with Stacy.
Yeah, if it's one thing Stacy is really good at, it's whining. <laughs> but having said that, I think this is a great example of the soundtrack being incorporated in the score, which is something that we've said this before, we're really missing and have been for a long time mm-hmm. in the Bond scores and the Bond movies. So I, I really like that. I just like the slowed down, quiet version of using the score to underscore a personal moment between the two leads. I think it's really good. This is just a nice little wind down, smooth track. I like this one a lot. I like the one from The Spy Who Loved Me, which is the, just sort of the slow, relaxed version of... Although Spy Who Loved Me is already kind of a relaxed... It's even more relaxed on, on that track. But you know what I'm saying. I like those slow versions. And you're right, Alan. The, the modern-day composers, I think they'd really do well to weave in some of their theme song into the film itself. We can hope, though, right? Bond 25? Hope so. Hope so. Well, that's it for me, Alan. I'm going to get out of the saddle and... You can mount up Inferno over here and <laughs> take the reins. <laughs> well, I was going to say, now I've finished cooking the quiche. I don't know whether to have a soak in a jacuzzi, steal a fire engine, or take the car for a wash, which might be a dangerous occupation. Don't, don't so. do the car wash. <laughs> but I think that's where we're going to go first. We're going to go join the Godfrey Tibbet and go get the car washed with my pick number one, which is track number six from the album, which is Tibbet Gets Washed Out. So, yeah, we have to start off, of course, with my trademark ominous track for the show. Um, but again, I, one of the things I really like this and is the fact that it tells a story through the music. It really builds the tension beautifully, particularly the drum and the percussion underscore that really runs all the way through it, builds the tension and then ramps up at the end with the tempo. So a good storytelling track. I like it when the music tells the story to go with the visuals. I concur. The nine-year-old Jared was very upset that Tibbet didn't make it to the movie. I like Tibbet a lot, and I think I shed some tears over Tibbet. So when I would hear this soundtrack, it would make me sad. I would miss Tibbet. But I will also admit to something else, because, you know, I was nine years old. I'd seen the movie once, and I have the cassette, and I see it's called Tibbet Gets Washed Out. And in my head, for years, until I finally got on VHS and watched it again, Tibbet died in the scuba diving accident. Remember when they go to check out the scuba diving, the turbines and all that? Oh, yeah. Much later in the movie. Much later in the movie. Because in my, <laughs> in my nine-year-old head, when I saw that title, I was like, oh, Tibbet died in the scuba diving accident, I think. And I was <laughs> no, it was quite more literal than that. He was at the car wash. Right, yeah. got, got washed out. But anyway, it's always a sad track to me because I like Tibbet so darn much. Fun stuff. So we're going to go a bit more upbeat with my second track. I know I said that He's Dangerous would have probably been one of my picks but it wouldn't have been my first pick it's not actually my favorite cue from the movie my favorite cue from the movie is actually not on the cd but we're going to put it in anyway the cheater folks he's a cheater (laughs) i have actually seen a few places where it's actually included with the wine with stacy which is weird but we're going to go with it and it's called fanfare
like I said, I wish this had been on the regular soundtrack release because it really is my favorite music cue from the movie. I think it's a very Bondian track, that lush orchestral score over it. I think it's very stirring, very emotional, real hero stuff. Mm. It's a shame it's really played over a scene of Bond climbing down a ladder and not much else. But. <laughs> well, for, you know, Roger Moore at that age, coming down right, that ladder. Right. It's Roger doing his own stunt, so I think maybe... It's a big so, deal. It's a big deal. So, yeah. It's one of those things when it gets to that point in the movie, I just close my eyes and just listen to that music cue because I think it's a great music cue. Oh, it is really great. And you hit the nail on the head when you said hero music. It's like a superhero theme. Yeah, almost. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. Even though it was clearly a dummy he was carrying down. The- <laughs> <laughs> That's no way to talk about Sanya Roberts. <laughs> Actually, uh, you may be right. Um, all right, let's move on quickly. Or actually, let's move on slowly. <laughs> well done. I'm sorry. You got me good. Because uh, my next pick is Airship to Silicon Valley. <laughs> Stop Ooh. it. You're making me laugh now. <laughs> yeah. So we're moving on to Airship to Silicon Valley. So let's get floaty. I think this one really does evoke the sedate floating movements of an airship beautifully as it was sort of going along the valley area and the bay area. But it's also got my favorite word, ominous. It's got that villainous underscore to it that signifies that while it's this beautiful sedate thing, there's some menace attached to it, I think. So again, telling a story through the music, I really like it. The other reason for picking this one is actually back in the late 70s, my father was actually involved with a company that was getting into airships and they were looking at using airships to ferry shipping containers. He actually worked for a shipping company that had actual ships that had containers on it. And they were looking at alternative means of transport with the oil crisis and stuff. And they seriously Mm. were looking at airships and he was actually one of the folks that put together an airship company at one time. So for probably about 18 months, our house was full of stuff about airships and model airships and plans of airships and stuff. If you'll pardon the pun, it never took off. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they could never figure out how to make it work from a business point of view. So it didn't happen, which it was a real shame. But airships was a big thing in my house for about 18 months. So there's a little bit of a connection there as well. But just musically, it's a nice track that, again, tells a good story. 
in that great John Barry way, it gives sound to something that doesn't have sound. Listen to that, and it, to me, it just evokes a, a picture of an airship. So, absolutely. I, my only question, since you do have a fair amount of airship experience, I mean, how easy is it for an airship to sneak up on somebody? That's what I need to know. <laughs> it's really easy, particularly if you're wearing high heels. Oh, okay. Uh, All you, right, can't run, you can't run away quick enough. So. <laughs> Look out, Actually, Stacey. There's a giant airship behind you. Oh, you know, those, those things are damn noisy with the engines <laughs> on the gondolas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, awesome, 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 and awesome. And I agree with you. Great storytelling through music. I think this is a strong, strong soundtrack and score from Barry. Yeah, like I said, you know, I thought it was was going to be difficult to pick six in a bad way, and it was difficult to pick six in a good way. I think there's several other tracks that we could have picked today. Absolutely. So, yeah, my underlying bullet point statements for you guys out there who are listening you might have a bad taste in your mouth about a view to Achilles as a film overall. It's not one of the strongest ones. I mean, it still has its moments, but it's not many people's top 10. But give that soundtrack a listen. It's bolder than you might remember. And now that we've picked our six of the best, it's time to get a little loungy and a little swingy with this episode's bonus track. This episode, I have selected a remix. It's called A View to Achilles, the deluxe edition by Tape. Five. That's T-A-P-E-5. Tape 5 with their version of View to a Kill.
Okay, Alan, now that was, I don't know, I like it. I think it's real retro and modern at the same time. Just a real unique sound. What do you think, my friend? I absolutely adore this version of it. I originally found the original version, and then after you posted this extended version, I had to go back and, or deluxe edit, sorry, I had to go back and listen to it. I've been listening to it a lot, and in fact, it's made me go and listen to a lot of Tape fives music as well. I love this loungy, modern, loungy, retro style and a really fun video with it as well which they just seem to have picked any clip of stuff from london and liverpool and new york from the 60s and just thrown it together and it makes absolutely no sense but it works with the song so well yeah i absolutely love this i think this is actually one of the best bonus tracks we've found so far oh man yeah i enjoyed it too because it's just so unique and as i'm sure you're going to mention shortly there's a lot of remixes of this song and this mm-hmm. one just really stood out to me as i was going through them i'm interested to know that it puts you onto a tape five kick i haven't experienced any tape five outside of preparing for the show in this track so it sounds like they might have uh, a bit more to offer that i should look into yeah they do they're not all cover versions they got some original stuff and if you like crooner lounge music with a bit of a modern twist on it yeah they're very cool so nice well i'll hand the reins back to you sir okay if you want to know how others tackled this Bond theme, we've put together a playlist of covers on YouTube. Just search for Bond Music Sits of the Best and you can find it. And we'll put a link in the show notes. As Jared just uh, alluded to, there are a lot of View to a Kit covers out there, which is probably a, a mark of how good the song actually is. So I actually ended up restricting the list to 20 videos because I could have just kept adding them and adding them. Unlike the last couple where I had to really search to find cover versions, this time it was no problem. There are lots of different takes on a View to a Kill. There are 20 on the list, plus the John Taylor. And I've actually also added an extra little thing. If, like me, you're a fan of the Jerry Anderson Supermarination TV shows from the 60s and 70s, Chris Dale from the Jerry Anderson podcast team has produced a great edit of scenes from the Captain Scarlet puppet show to the music of A View to a Kill. And it really works well. So I've added that as a little bonus to the playlist if you want to go look at it. Well, with that, that's going to bring us to the end of this episode of Bond Music 6 of the Best. If you have a question or comment, you can email us at ohmspod at outlook.com, or you can comment on Twitter at ohmspod. Don't forget to subscribe to On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And if you can leave a rating and a review, that would be great as well. Or if you'd like to chat with us personally on social media, I can be found at Yard Sale Artist. That's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It's all at Yard Sale Artist. How about you, Alan? And you can find me on Twitter at Bond Lexicon or at Tumblr and Instagram at James Bond Lexicon. Excellent. And as always, we will pass the baton to our White Rocket founder and OHMS Pod co-host Van Allen Plexico to thank our generous patrons who support all of our White Rocket endeavors. We have to thank Matthew Flowers, Carl Von Drunker, Samuel Salvatore, and Christopher Burleson, as well as Phil Amthor, Ben Spooner, Bart Lindsay, Bradley Blackman, William Glenn Matthews, Gary Grant, Brian Gray, Willie Carden, Tom Anderson, Susan Trawick, Logan Chilton, Stephen Thompson, Chris Usher, Steve Trawick, and Richard Stevens. And then, of course, we got William Morgan, Johnny Caldwell, Emmanuel Seaman, WDE Richie, Winston Body, Clinton Stewart, and Christopher Stewart. Hey, guys. Mickey B, Phil Davis, Joshua Corbett, John Otsuki, Preston Settle, Daniel Odom, AU Falling Up Alchemist, Kevin Smith, Clarence Alfred, Will Summerford, David Hegler, Theodore Gary, Reynolds Wolf, Joel Beckham, Valiant Hermes, Jacob and Robin Fleming, Clay Henson, Ann Kangian, Catherine England, George Gaston, John McCune, David Evers, Timothy, Steve Harlan, Dan Thompson, Wes Atkinson, and Rich Reimer. Then we have Sarah Hines, Darius Benton, a couple of new folks, welcome aboard. Rob Morgan, Blake Heron, Hugh Anderson, Stephen Houston, Cato the Barner, Danny Flack, Puppetod, Russell Milling, Kevin Canoy, Don Zederman, Ross, Lane Middleton, Shannon Butson, Randall Walker, Shane Bailey, Chris Thrash, Tony Perry, Alex Wynn, Josh Teal, David Simpson, Earl Ricks, Mike Finley, and C.T. Wayne. And finally, good old Jeremy Minton, Wardam Wade, Spanky, J.W. Rice, Jason Albrick, Mitch Vigicana, Mick Vigicana, not Mitch, Russell Souther, I've said these names a million times and I still mess them up, <laughs> Paul Paxson, Joseph Iliff, Justin Bean, Kevin Mahan, Stephen Wyatt. See, if you fast forward through this, you miss all the fun. Trevor Johnson, Auburn Elvis, Robert Drain, Brandon Smith, Royce Alvarez, Thomas Brinson, 
David Smiley, Matthew Wagstaff, Donnie Reynolds, Wade Carson, Ivor Evans, John Zavachin, Michael Morton, Lawrence Kane, Darren Pyle. I'm sure nobody fast forwards through it. You want to hear all my wacky mispronunciations. Chris Camo, Ben Amos, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Patrick Williams, Stephen Schuster, James Taylor, John Stubbs, Kenneth Brent Rains, Nicholas Craig, Joseph A. Miller, Mark Squire, Chris Brent Rumble, our one-time and anonymous donors. And we thank you all. We really appreciate you. We couldn't do it literally without you. Visit www.plexico.net, P-L-E-X-I-C-O.net to become a member and join the fun. So thank you for joining us for this episode. This episode's tracks are from the 2003 remastered A View to a Kill soundtrack. As always, we'd like to remind you to legally purchase your Bond music via official download channels or via CD or vinyl. Please support the Bond creative community. And we will be back with six of the best from The Living Daylights, which I know Jared has one or two things to talk about. I really, really do. I'm so glad you were here. I have my uses. <laughs> Not many, I'll admit. <laughs> yeah, but they, they all fit into my life so well. So <laughs> yeah, the Venn diagram's pretty close. Yeah, it's like just Jared. It's like a picture of me. <laughs> Again, I did that way too fast. I used to. No, that, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, it did make sense. It did make sense. <laughs> I'm so used to not making sense. It's weird. Okay. <laughs> Alan. There's some peppers in that drawer. Alan's making, <laughs> key, Alan's making key shots. <laughs> anyway, Alan, what do you think? Or as we call it, omelet pie. Um, <laughs> is that a real term? Are you, you no, gaslighting no, me? No. <laughs> I'm gaslighting. Yeah. Oh, it got me good that time because I was like, I'm just messing with you. Um, <laughs> that's what my dad used to call it. Okay. Do you think? Sorry about that. It was a real American sorry, by the way. That wasn't. <laughs> that wasn't a fake British story. <laughs> At least I guessed uh, it, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, technical issue there. I lost the I window said, with, <laughs> with the... With the uh, <laughs> hey! <laughs> That's all right. That's why we edit these things. And I, I love outtakes. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm John Taylor. Welcome to my Stone Love Bass Odyssey. It's where we look at the evolution of a song from the perspective of the bass man. Today, a view to a kill. A view to a kill is more than a pop song. It's a James Bond theme song. A film series with a high bar for fantastic theme songs. Goldfinger, Diamonds Are Forever, Live and Let Die, and it would be the first time that we would be joined in the writing room by another composer, the legend behind so many of those great songs, John Barry. To show you what the bass does on A View to a Kill, we really have to listen to the chords. We have to hear what the bass does within the chords. And there are a lot of them. A View to a Kill is deceptive in its simplicity. The chords never stop moving, building in intensity and tension, pushing and pulling from major to minor, darkness over light, will the good guy triumph over evil. Let's look at the opening section. C minor. To G, B flat, F minor. It's my job to pick out a theme, something to add to the drama. I'm going to do this. 
Okay, I like that, and we're going to use that. The next section we get to is when Simon comes in, meeting you with a view to a kill. Nick is going to change his inversion slightly, and I am going to pedal, which is a new concept for us. We haven't talked about it yet. And I'm going to play the same note for every chord. I'm going to sit on that C, and by doing almost nothing, it's going to create as much tension as if I was doing something. Let me show you. a little rum punch to that, we're going to add an effect. We haven't been doing much in the way of effects in this series, but we can't do a view to a kill without it. We're going to use a delay, echo, if you will, and it's going to move things along. So far, so good. Now, what about the beat? Something along those lines, but faster. A view to a kill is an A-B-C structure. The B gets us from the A verse to the C chorus. It's also an opportunity for a little doubt, a little fear. We're in A flat, which is a left turn from where we were before we go to the E major and the triumph, we hope, of good over evil in the chorus. The chorus has to be massive. It has to be a Duran Duran chorus, and it is. More awesome chords from Nick. Roger picks the beat up, and I take it to the disco with those octaves again. Let's hear it. produced beautifully by Bernard Edwards, Niles' bass playing partner in Chic. And my main inspiration as a bassist, it was Bernard who taught me that the bass should tell a story from beginning to end. And it's something that I try to do with every song that I record, but I tried very much to do it on this song, and I hope I achieved that. Let's string it all together and listen.
mixture of dark and light I found really intoxicating on this song. It would be the last song that Andy, Roger, Nick, Simon and myself would write together for 20 years. But what a f***ing song. taking the odyssey with me join me on instagram live where i will be talking to a fellow englishman and one of the greats